0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: There to all you Metsian folk, this is the converted Mets fan Sam Maxwell, and you are here with a Metsian podcast, and we are so thankful that you are. I hope you all out there are doing uh, are, are, are fantastic and also safe and healthy in this trying time. Uh, a lot of crazy things going on, but we're just here to talk about the Mets. Uh, we have a great guest tonight, but we, uh, before we introduce him, without further ado, let me bring on my co-conspirators. And we're going to start, uh, since he hasn't been on this year, Rich Farago in Connecticut. What's going on, Rich?
0: Hey, Sam. Um, And uh, the fact that the year is only, you know,
1: 14 days
0: old, I'll say. I haven't, hopefully I haven't missed too much, but you're right. I haven't been on this calendar year. Things are going well. Um, I'm encouraged by the news that we will have an on-time spring training and 162-game schedule, it looks like. comes out of nowhere, and I thought that
1: was great. So looking forward to chatting baseball tonight. Same here, and we're going to go over to Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, and introduce Mike LeColant. What's going on, Mike?
2: Hello, Sam. Hello, Rich. Hello, everybody listening. Uh, Moving right along, just trying to get the new year started off in the right way. Same here,
1: and and, uh,
2: we talked to him about eight
1: months ago uh, before – it's just, it's just night and day as to the conversation to be had. Uh, since I, I remember a lot of Wilpon complaining, as has happened on many a, podca- uh, a podcast before Steve Cohen came aboard, let alone ours. And that is a director and Mets fan over in Crown Heights, uh, another Brooklyn guy, and that is Phil Maylard. Uh, uh, Phil, welcome back to the uh, Metsian podcast. Greatly appreciate it.
3: Thank you, guys. You know this is a little bit of guilty pleasure considering everything we've gone through so far in 2021. It was supposed to be a better year than 2020, but not so far. And uh, so this is, <laughs> this is definitely a, 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 a this is definitely a, a wonderful distraction from CNN. <laughs> Thank you. Right,
1: right, exactly. Well, uh, Phil, before we get started, I just want to give you an opportunity to shamelessly plug for anybody who did not hear the last podcast, just tell everybody uh, where they can find you and what you're,
3: uh, what you're generally up to. So, you know, I've, I've, I've been uh, directing, started directing music videos back in the late eighties, early nineties. And uh, did, did that and various other jobs. I worked at Manhattan center as head of uh, production and uh, project development. We did multi-camera shows. And uh, I also worked with uh, on mobile trucks. We did, uh, events with mobile trucks, we did Broadway plays with Spike Lee called Passing Strange and concerts and stuff like that, and and uh, now I've been the last kind of three to four years kind of segued into documenta- documenta- documentaries, to, uh, directing those, and so my company's called Tomorrow Media, T-U-M-A-R-O, tomorrowmedia.com, you can go to the website and see us, and uh, and that's what we're doing, and as well as uh, trying to develop other projects at the same time.
1: Excellent. And uh, some of those interests of the projects that you are developing, we will certainly get into uh, later in the show. Uh, but b- before we get started with uh, with everything, I, I want, uh, since, again, you know, it-, it was eight months ago, and I forget exactly where the whole Steve Cohen process was at the time. Uh, but, you know, just give us your thoughts on, on his ownership so far. Uh, what- what, you know, what do you take from it?
3: Well, I I think the best thing that happened uh, in the Steve Cohen's entrance is that Jeff Wilpon was impeached and voted (laughs) out. (laughs) He got voted out by the House and the Senate, and he is never to return. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Uh, Yeah, he, you know, uh, Steve is a wonderful breath of fresh air because instead of just being an owner, he's an actual fan and you can, you can sense it. You can hear it in his, in his breath. You can hear it in his cadence. And, um, you know, he grew up a a Mets fan, as he said, being up in the upper deck. If you, if you spent any time in upper deck of any stadium, watching a team, you are a fan and that is in your DNA and you paid your dues. So, Steve Cohen uh, is a breath of fresh air. Um, Listen, he's he's a a $14 billion guy. So not many people like that are grounded, but he seems more grounded than what you would have expected. And um, that's a sense of relief. He's very approachable. He responds on Twitter to the fans, which is highly unusual. He was out in the parking lot handing bobbleheads to season ticket holders. He's engaged, and I think just that energy alone brings a real sense of family, of that he cares, that he's listening. There's a big difference between hearing and listening, and he listens; he just doesn't hear, and that's just refreshing for Met fans who probably haven't had that since Double Day. So uh, I think that's where the euphoria comes in so far. Not so much what he's done with the trade that we're going to talk about, but what he, what, what he's breathing into the franchise and he makes us feel like we're part of the, part of the solution of getting the team on the right track. It's a
1: great point. And a word that I always used about the Wilpons, uh, um, especially Jeff Wilpon, like you talked about is tone deaf. Uh, what, you know, when talking about listening, he just couldn't hear, he was completely tone deaf and, and, you it was basically top down you could sense that tone deafness was was uh a trickling down throughout the organization um and you know rich i'm going to start with you regarding the trade since you were not on the last podcast that mike did with mike silva um you know speaking uh, uh, speaking of you know not being tone deaf but also sensing that there's a different way that things are going about. uh, uh, We really didn't, you know, generally speaking, there were just always these leaks, you know, with the uh, Robinson Canoe trade is a perfect example of how we, we kept hearing things for three to four days before the trade went through. And, and you, you, we were all talking during that day, how, you know, it was how silent it was. And then all of a sudden, literally within two minutes of us texting, you were like, Oh wait, (laughs) something's going on. Um, so, you know, give us a, a sense of that, you know, the sense that you have of that, but also just about the trade itself. Well, you know,
0: with regards to the
1: leaks and, and privacy, I think it all
0: speaks to the new regime. Um, you know, clearly, Jeff Wolpont, and this goes back This goes back to the early 2000s, where, you know, he was very friendly with John Franco. He's very friendly with, with different people on the team and there would be these leaks that would happen and it just it reeks of bad you know the owners should not be buddy buddy with the players like that because at that point they're crossing over multi-levels of management and and they just don't belong in the clubhouse you know and that was a complaint from some and some embraced it some players I mean you know some players got close and some players um, really were offended by it so clearly there were leaks and, and they played the media game and all of that sort of stuff well you have a new regime. Yes, Sandy's the same person, but he's operating, obviously, much differently under different ownership. And and they do things right. I mean, they, they keep their cards close to the vest, you know, and and that speaks to that. Now, in terms of the trade itself, obviously, it's a great deal. I mean, I, I wrote a piece for Mesmerize that I think they're going to publish tomorrow about, you know, if I had to pick one trade of every decade, this could be that even though we're just starting the 2020s, this could be the trade of the decade. I mean, they brought in a guy who's a multiple-time All-Star um, at 27, just entering his prime. All of that, you know, the guy reeks of New York. He smiles. He he embraces it. He's all those things. And Carrasco's no slouch either. I mean, the guy led the American League in wins in 2017, um, and then he was a comeback player of the year in 2019. He's 33, but you know, but still a very usable piece. So. This, at, at the moment, looks like a great trade. And you know what I'm going to say next? It's contingent upon the Mets' ability to retain Lindor long-term. Because let's just say they don't. Then Lindor is somewhere else, and I believe Jimenez will be a star. Um, and then Rosario certainly could be. So you could have two guys out there who are slayers, and the Mets have Carrasco left, you know, who might be 35, 34, 35 at the time. We hope that doesn't happen. Yes, under Steve Cohen, money's much different, and the odds of signing a player long-term are much, much higher. But until Lindor's name is on a piece of paper saying he'll be in New York, you know, for five years plus, that's in my mind. So that's the only negative thing about the trade is they just have to sign Lindor long-term. And if they do, great deal, no matter what Rosario and Jimenez do, because you got yourself a genuine superstar. So that's my take on it.
1: I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, right on point, you know. It, it, we have to see what happens with this uh, extension possibly. Um, uh, but before I go to Mike, I'm going to uh, loop over to Phil about this. Uh, what's your take on the trade?
3: Well, first of all, I, I love it. It, it, it. it brings back, uh, and Rich, you, you, can, you can attest to this, it brings back shades of Carlos Beltran signing. Here's a guy who's at the top of his game, about the same age, twenty-seven, twenty-six. The Mets brought him in. Granted, we know the whole story about the Yankees and all that, but doesn't matter. They brought him in. The difference is Lindor's personality is different than Carlos. Is I think Lindor is made for the New York market, like you said. Uh, I think Carrasco's bringing him him in reminds me of when they brought in Pedro. Now he's not Pedro, but we're talking about a a, a veteran solid starter guy who's smart who's great in the clubhouse um that's bringing and bringing leadership because peter alonzo was was doing about a braille method feeling his way around as a rookie so i think bringing the veteran leadership is is really important my only my only concern is and and met fans can attest to this that second base in our history has been like a mosh pit you know we've we had Jeff Kent. Okay. We got rid of him. And then he brought in the Carlos by who was supposed to be on top of his game. And he, and he sucked. And Roberto Alomar was busy spitting at people. And, uh, you know, and, and then you had, uh, was it Kaz Matsui, Matsui came in, you know, he was, you know, and then he, then he moved, then he moved Jose Reyes to second base. So over the years, it has not been, and never mind, uh, what's my man that dropped the pop fly Yankee stadium. Yeah. Uh, yeah so second base has not been traditionally a strong position for us only when uh early years of Hubie brooks was manning that for a little while before he moved over to third so i just because i'm a met fan and you know i'm used to used to you know having these things go bad that's the only thing i'm worried about but if if they don't sign an extension beginning of the year they're going to wait and see if lindor fits the market and we'll see you know we we had a guy named Bobby Bonilla once who said, "You've not wiped wipe the smile off my face." Well, uh, that didn't work out so well either. I don't think Lindor is like that, but that's my only reservation as a Mets fan. You know, Mike, it's hard
1: to completely wipe all this Metsy, Metsian way that we we have felt, uh, and and you, uh, you've been you've spoken to me about specifically NL Central folks, or any Central folks, actually, uh, considering uh, Cleveland, of course, is in the AL. Uh, So if you want to speak to that, please.
2: Well, it's funny that you bring that up because I wouldn't have brought it up on the podcast. But, yeah, I I have this uh, uneasiness about players coming out of both the American and National League Central divisions. It seems when they're all within their playpen, Everything's go- everything goes rather well for those teams, but the second you start taking these players out of that division and start bringing them east, things change. Now maybe that's just me, you know, and and, and a bias that I've developed over the years. Uh, I don't know if anybody else has noticed that, but this is my impression. Uh, I'm not, I'm actually kind of amused that you brought that up. So. I have no reservations about the trade. I
1: have no reservations about the trade the
2: Lindor. None whatsoever. I, the, you know, that didn't hit me the way, say, uh, a, a Jay Bruce or uh, Todd Frazier or some other people we plucked out of the Central over the years worked out for us in, in Flushing. Well,
1: it you know, it just felt natural uh, since Phil was talking about like having those thoughts and and Rich, I'll I'll go to you next on this. You know, I understand that Francisco Lindor was uh, sending out a, a a graphic filled with uh, fellow Puerto Ricans. But when I saw Roberto Alomar there, all I could do was cringe. I was like, Oh no. But at the same time, I immediately like recognized why. Uh, What's your take on that? You know, I
0: think we're all spooked by the Roberto Alomar deal.
1: And, um,
0: Alomar, he, here's why, other than the fact he wore a Cleveland uniform, as did Bayerga, by the way, and they both tanked when they got here. Uh, <laughs> let, let's be frank. The, the thing that we could point to is Alomar came to the Mets in his age 34 season, right? Lindor's coming to the Mets in his age 27 season. So right there, that gives me, that wipes out about, you know, 98% of the stain. And, um, and I'm good already. All, all just with that. Um, but you know, the, the drop-off is amazing. You know, I don't have the numbers up in front of me, but it's in the piece I wrote. So I, I did a, a mention of Alomar. I think the year he came here, he had 20 home runs, a hundred and some odd RBIs and hit three 30, something like that. And it looked for all the world, like, okay, yeah, the guy's going to be 34, but come on, you know, even if you get 85% of that production, that's great. Well, he at 266 is a Met with 11 home runs. He went from 330-ish to 266, from 20 home runs to 11, and just was – he evaporated. And I I point to age because the guy's in the Hall of Fame. You know, he, he amassed enough statistics to be in the Hall of Fame. So it had to be age. Lindor um, is, is, you know, seven years younger, so I'm good with that, although – if I told you that the Alomar, you know, negative halo effect was totally gone, it isn't, but I'm able to talk myself out of it.
1: Well, let's, let's go ahead and focus too on Carrasco. You know, they they still need pitching right now, Phil. Um, And, and of course, you know, speaking of age 34, that's how old uh, Carlos Carrasco is. Uh, But he's generally been one of the most effective pitchers in the league. So what's your take on him?
3: As long as, you know, he's, he doesn't have to even win 15 games. He just has to battle. You know, he has to get me to like you know six and a half or seven innings. Uh, he's a veteran. He can manage the rough seas. He's been through it. I mean, the guy survives cancer for God's sake. So everything else is is, is gravy in his life. And I think uh, I think that's that's part of half the battle there. His attitude. I don't think he's going to feel any pressure whatsoever coming here i think he's going to embrace it he embracing he's embracing life in general and i think he's going to he's going to strive and, and thrive in the moment and i think people would be more surprised and again i listen i could i could say that now or he could really suck <laughs> you know be giving him go for balls but i just think even if in the beginning there's a rough seas he will navigate it because he's been through so much and he's uh and he's he's wise he understands and what this is about. And, and this is a big market, which he's never been in before. So I think, I think he'll do quite well, actually.
1: And let's, uh, let's continue with pitching, uh, Mike. Where is the next place? How do you want them to go about this uh, pitching market? Uh, and also, they're starting pitching, considering they have Steph Lugo. But, you know, I believe it was somewhere out there this week that uh, they're most likely going to be using him in the bullpen. Um, you know, last year, you could say by the end there, you know, it was basically one and two was DeGrom and, and Seth Lugo. And I'm not sure if that's staying much for the starting rotation of the 2020 year. Uh, but what's your take? Where Should should they go uh, completely uh, all in on Trevor Bauer? What, where do you want them to go from
2: here? It's a good question. Uh, you know, even though the new owner is a billionaire, As he has said, and the way, you know, us fans describe it, we're not out to spend money like drunken sailors. So the conversation has been narrowed down to Springer or Bauer. Where do you place more importance? I think right now the lineup is good. It's quality. Uh, It's actually quite potent. So I think you should invest in pitching. Uh, but if you can't reach a reasonable agreement with Mr. Bauer, uh, and he is the best pitcher available at the moment, just because of the situation that we're presently in and he's available, doesn't mean that you necessarily need to sign him. Uh, I don't want to see them do things just for the sake of doing it, signing people just for the sake of signing them so i'm not looking to break the bank with this guy even though we could probably afford to uh but that's not good business and and that's not a smart way of running an organization so if if the price is reasonable if the years are reasonable uh, i'm all in i I think the priority should be on pitching at this point uh, considering the acquisitions we've made to, to date. so yeah perhaps uh the focus should shift his way and see if uh, we can strike something with uh, Bower's representatives. But uh, by no means do I want the Mets to break the bank to secure his services. I really don't. I'd much, ra- I'd much rather wait out the process, have uh, Syndergaard come back and-, and see what he's up to and see, you know, uh, if that's where we'd rather invest some of the money, uh, you know, earmarked for pitching. So, I, I mean, it's a big question mark I'm going to let the uh, experts handle this and uh, see what happens.
1: You know, Rich, according to some Mets fans, uh, signing one of the premier, the the most premier uh, free, uh, excuse me, relievers out there, as well as one of the premier catchers out there is uh, business as usual. Same as the Wilpons. Uh, Steve Cohen is nothing different. Uh, even though he tweets and says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep, you know, keep saying that to the people who are actually saying that, which is not obviously happening under the Jeff Wilpon regime. So uh, considering what the environment was for some Mets fans and how antsy they were getting and and like Mike just said uh, about being able to afford it, uh, but it's not good business. Um, You know, before there had to be boardroom meetings and they didn't have the money and yada, yada, yada. Uh, before they actually went through with anything, and all of a sudden, there the the players that they were looking for have signed with the Dodgers. Um, so, you know, what 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 is it about? B- basically, like like why you know why is it that Mets fans were like, all right, great, now spend like drunken sailors, uh, and, and and can't just like look at within themselves and say, you know what, the adults are in the room now. Let's see what they're thinking about.
0: It's a natural reaction. I mean, it, it's the only thing I could come up with is the example of the parents who, let, let's say, don't let the kids have candy, right? It's the forbidden thing. No, you can't have candy. It's really bad. And these, you grow up denied of something. What's the first thing these kids do when they go to their friend's house? They eat all the candy. So it's just, it, that's the mentality. You know, there was no spending. It was a budget. You know, operating a small market team, I could keep going with, you know, the, the cliches. I think you know what I'm saying. And they got sick of it. I got sick of it. We all got sick of it. And now that you have somebody with deep pockets, well, what's your reaction? The reactionary position isn't, okay, let's methodically build a sustainable winner. The reactionary position is let's spend like drunken sailors. And, and it's just the way it's human nature. You know, when you're denied something and then you have it, you typically go ham on that thing. And, And I, I think it's nothing more than that. Um, my opinion. And I just want to make a quick comment on Trevor Bauer. I'm with Mike. I think the next big signing should be pitching. When I look at Trevor Bauer and he wants 30 plus million a year from what we're hearing 75 and 64 career wise. I mean, come on, you know, I'm not giving this guy $35 million a year. I'm just not. And, and, you know, there's just no way if they gave him, if any, you know, he's going to be 30. Um, if they gave him $35 or at this point, it would put them over the luxury tax or, or very close or right on the border. So if they're not over because you have the arbitration numbers have to come back and all that, if they're not over. They'd be right on the border, which means you're not bringing in a JBJ. You're certainly not bringing in a Springer. It's going to limit everything else you do unless you start making deals to offload some salary because I don't think they want to go over the luxury tax. And then you're, you're getting Bauer at a ridiculous amount of money for a 30-year-old pitcher whose you know, who's career, 11 games over 500. Yes, last year was his best year. I get it. I totally get that. But do you want to spend $35 million a year on a guy like that? I mean, come on. You know, it, it just doesn't make sense. 2019, his ERA was 4.5. You know, 2018, it, it was better at, at 221. Actually, very good. But then 2017, 419. 2016, 426. You see the point. This isn't Jacob DeGrom. These aren't Jacob DeGrom numbers. So, anyway, add pitching. I would add pitching at the mid-range now because the top of your rotation, you've got DeGrom, you've got Stroman, you've got Syndergaard coming back, you've got Carrasco, you've got Peterson. I'm not suggesting that it's an all-star rotation. What I'm suggesting is you could add in the middle. You don't have to go to the top and get this guy and risk having, A, a a bad contract, and, B, limiting your other options. I just wanted to add that.
2: And, Sam, if I may. Yeah, go ahead. uh, I'm I'm just going to pick up where Rich left off. Insofar as Mr. Cohen, consider where he comes from, what side of, uh, you know, what he does for a living. He's in in investments. And I think he's smart enough not to become a market maker in baseball. Uh, In the investment business, when you're a market maker, you're a principal. And I think he's smart enough not to be a market maker in baseball. He's not going to set the bar because that just, you know, throws the landscape into chaos. So I don't think he's going to be setting the bar. And I don't think he's going to be setting the market. I think he's going to play along with it and massage it as he goes along.
4: Phil,
1: um, can you uh, uh, take this uh, wherever you want to go?
4: Yeah, I,
3: I I agree with the guys. Trevor Bauer doesn't move me at all. I mean, the guy when people say he had a good season, the season was sixty games. It wasn't even half of a real baseball season. And so for this guy to pay him that kind of money, I I, I I'm not a, I'm not obviously I'm not a, a Yankee fan, but I thought they overspent for Garrett Cole. I think that's gonna blow up in their faces. And what Mets fans want to do is they want to feel like the Yankees fans felt. Our team is gonna give it a shot. But when you look at a lot of the, the majority of Yankee free agent signings, they really haven't worked out too well. Not most of them haven't. There's a few of them that do, but, you know, even a, even a blind squirrel finds a nut. So, yeah, but I think, I think the strength of this team is you make, your, you make your pitching staff better by making your team strong up the middle. In baseball, having good defense up the middle is like having a good offensive line of football. It makes up for your wide receivers maybe taking longer to get open for your quarterback. who might not be accurate. It changes all that. And I, and I, and I like uh, what, what what was brought about Peterson. I think Peterson is really going to step up this year. I like what he saw. He has Moxie. Uh, I think he's going to tweak his game a little bit. So I think they'll be fine. Um, even, uh, even Porcello wasn't horrible uh, in start, but you know, Adding a Springer adds runs, puts runs in your offense and put and takes the runs away from the other team. So that addition alone, even if your team has to outslug somebody, they now can because, let's face it, Polar Bear is now on the clock. Who's the real Polar Bear? Was he 53 home runs or was he the guy that stunk it up last year and his defense stunk? So I think – by adding Springer, you're not sure about the DH, but by adding Springer, you give yourself that flexibility to do that. And like I said, you just strung up the middle, so I agree with the guys. no No Trevor Bauer for me.:
1: You know, I kind of understand that uh, you know unless it, unless it can lower it
3: Sam huh. Did we, we
2: Sam? It. All right. Uh Rich, you got the board, right?
0: I do. I can take it from here until Sam comes back. Yeah. So I uh, I think we kind of profusely agreed that pitching, yes. Uh pitching to the debilitation of any other move you could make, no. So, you know, I I think it's um I that I think we're in agreement. And guys, tell me if you disagree, but I think where we landed was, you know, maybe you need to add a pitcher, probably add that pitcher at the mid range and have flexibility like you said, Phil, adding a, a better defensive center fielder makes you better on both sides. You know, you uh, um, you get some offense, hopefully a right-handed hitter. You, you get some offense, and then also you're taking runs off the board for the opposition, which makes all the pitchers better, right, basically?
3: Agreed, yeah. And and also, you know, it would, it would be really nice because we've added strength now. We have McNeil as natural position. Now we have an all-star shortstop. So the middle of the infield is, is taken care of. The keys are the hot corners. If Dom Smith is at first base, you know you got a really, really good first baseman. Uh, Davis is adequate, or Gamble is adequate. At uh, is adequate at third base, they're fine. Um, so you know you can still mix and match. But even if it's a little bit of a sieve, you could overcome that by adding a Springer. And the key with Lindor, which we haven't discussed, is this guy's a switch hitter. I mean. That's like Shangri-La, you know, when he's you still be your best defensive infielder that hits for power and is a switch hitter. Oh, my God. I mean, can't ask better than that. So it helps helps the manager with his choices. Instead of double switching and all that kind of stuff like that, he's really got a plethora of options, and that's what you want. You do.
0: Sam, are you back? You're showing us on on the board. All right. Okay. Hey, guys, uh, I, no just
1: little, I just need a moment. Guys, I'm sorry. I just need a moment. Thank you, though. No, no problem. problem. Okay, we'll go from here.
0: Um, all right. So, so what else is happening in Mesville? Well, okay, let's let's get your comments on this. Couple of interesting things. Dom Smith. Um, you guys might be aware that Sandy Alderson joined John Heyman for a podcast, and he was on for an hour. And one, and the thing that everybody's talking about is that Sandy said that Dom Smith isn't going anywhere. Great. We sure. all love Dom Smith. I can't possibly love a guy more than love Dom Smith. But, 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 it also appears that there will not be a DH in the National League this year. And the fact that we don't know that when pitchers and catchers report in four weeks is just absurd, but we're going to talk about that. Um, so it, no DH in the National League, because that was the agreement last year. DH for 2020, no DH 2021, and then figure it out for 2022 and beyond. So <laughs> I'll start with you on some, Mike. Dom's not going anywhere. That's great. Love that. Um, no DH in the National League. Where do you find playing time for this guy? How do you find playing time for this guy?
2: That's a great question. I don't know. Uh, like you say, Manfred hasn't put out the dictate yet about the, Nash, uh, about the designated error, and I don't know how you expect teams, especially in the National League, to go about, you know, uh, fixing your roster. Uh, what the weight is, I have no idea. It's a pretty ponderous, Rich. But where is Dom Smith going to get playing time? Well, he's obviously going to get shoehorned into left field. And, uh, you know, him and uh, and Polar Bear are going to share time at first base. Who's going to be the regular first baseman? Who's going to get the most at-bats and the most uh, innings played? Probably going to be Pete Alonzo and Dom Smith will be regulated to the left field. Uh, But Dom Smith is capable of changing all that. He's on the up and up. So if we want to look at a compromised 2020 season and look at production, you know, Pete struggled somewhat. He came on late, but Dom Smith had a very strong year. If that continues into 2021, well, his bat is going to do all the speaking for him, and management will have no choice but to react accordingly. You know, So I'm looking for his performance to answer that question, uh, and my answer would be he's going to get shoehorned into left field more often than we'd like, and he's going to get some innings at first base because you can't have Pete Alonzo on the bench, not in, a, not in a league without a DH. So let, let me
0: challenge that a little bit before I go to you, Phil. Uh, I'm going to ask you the same questions, of course. So, so Mike, I, I don't disagree. You made, gave a logical answer, but let me let me throw this on the table. Sandy has had this epiphany that defense counts in baseball. Thank goodness, and he he's aware, and as is Jared Porter, that they have to do. And Porter said as much last week, I believe it was, that they have to be better defensively. Okay, center field, his uh, the the defensive run save for Nimmo in a short season was like minus six, and that's really bad that projects to like minus 15 over the course of full season, which is horrendous. So they need to upgrade their defense and center field. Okay. So let's say they bring somebody in, they bring in a, a JBJ. We'll go down, you know, guys who are just defenders, like, or not just, but guys who are really good defenders, maybe less expensive than Springer. So JBJ, they apparently also have interest in Albert Almora, former cub, who is a very good defender out there. So you bring, you bring that person in to shore up defense. That means, Nimmo probably shifts to left field. How are we finding time for Dom now? I mean, I don't, I agree with you that left field would be the spot combination of left field and first base. But if, if what you're stating is you want a better center fielder, that means your your center fielder goes to left. What the hell? I, give me some thoughts on that.
2: I don't know. I think another transaction is on the horizon somewhere.
0: It may be. So, Phil, talk to me. Um, how do you find at-bats for this wonderful guy we have in Dom Smith?
3: I think I think what has to happen is um, this coaching staff and this manager and upper management has to make a decision. And they're going to give Pete Alonso some leash, obviously, because he's a fan favorite. He hit 53 home runs. Uh, but, you know, going toward the end of last year, he was sitting because he stunk. And I think at some point they're going to have – it's going to be a performance. Uh, related thing, and Pete's gonna have to step it up. It's really gonna be on Pete because Dom, Dom's game in the way his approach, his approach at the plate. He's a doubles machine. He he makes contact. Um, he has all the intangibles that you want in the first baseman. Pete is kind of like using a shoehorn to get your foot in the shoe a little bit. He's powerful, but sometimes if he doesn't make contact. He gets down on himself and it affects his defensive game. So it's a real quandary for them. Thank God that Dom is amenable and as a team player. And he did the Wilma Flores. You know, Wilma cried, cried, cried in the infield, and Dom gave that impassioned after the game thing about Black Lives Matter. So he, they endeared themselves to the fans. They are fan favorites, which doesn't hurt their cachet on the team. But it is going to be. A little bit of a quandary, and I agree. You know, it's a shame Dom can't play third base because if he could, that would be that would be awesome because that's the answer. But um, for some reason, they feel they're enamored with him in left field. Um, I guess that's the the lesser of the evils for him. Um, but at least he won't be platooning with McNeil out there, so that's one saving grace. But yeah, I think it's going to be a performance issue, guys. I really think whoever whoever performs is going to play. And that's the way it should be.
0: Let me be provocative. Um, so you have this little problem, right? With, with um, too many guys for not enough spots. I, I haven't given this a lot of thoughts. So I don't have a, a specific name to give you, but you Mike, you said another transaction is coming. What if there's an American league team out there that offers you a young, Talented player for Pete Alonzo. Um, maybe that player is a center fielder. And maybe you don't have to sign JBJ or Springer or Elmore. But, but would you, my point is this, without getting caught up in a name. Are you so committed to Pete Alonzo being a franchise player for the Mets? And I would understand if you are, personality-wise and all that stuff and the rookie home run record and all that. Or is, in your mind, is he movable in the right deal for a, a younger a young player of comparable quality. What do you think? We'll start with you, Mike.
2: Uh, I'm more inclined to trade Pete Alonzo, Rich. I really am. I'd rather keep Dominic Smith. When we were drafting Dominic Smith, he's playing out exactly uh, the way his uh, scouting report laid it out. Good defense, good bat, and he's proving that. Alonso really snuck up on us with that rookie season. No one saw that coming, and no one was touting him as highly as they touted Dom Smith. Now, if an American League team should show up and make an offer for Pete Alonso, it ha- it has to work for us, Rich. So the receiving the receiving package would have to include, or you know, at least address either third base, center field starting pitching, or the bullpen. Anything other than that, I'm not terribly interested. We can't log jam second base because, well, Robbie Cano is still a member of the team and he's going to be coming back. You know, you stick with those four positions, third base, center field, starting pitching, and the bullpen. Those are our greatest needs right now. And right now it's appearing as if Pete Alonso is morphing into uh, an expendable commodity, regardless of fifty home runs. You know, uh, to me, fifty home runs doesn't mean what it once did when, say, George Foster did it. <laughs> you know, the times have changed.
3: They have no. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with that, and and I think, but I would move Alonzo this year because even if the DH doesn't come in this year, it will definitely come in next year, and that is the. Antidote to the Smith Alonzo problem is d h because it gives again the manager a plethora of options having Alonzo at D h Smith in the field, or if Alonzo's on the field and Smith in D h you can always swap out for defense and not lose anything at the bat, so I think they'll ride out this season with Pete give him a chance to write himself um, if he writes himself and he can be a 250, 255 hitter, would say 37 home runs. They'll live with that. And wait till next year when the DH comes in, I think, then they'll be fine.
0: Yeah, that, that could be the strategy. The strategy could be, you know, to buy a year, because it, in all likelihood, and it pains me to put these words out, the DH likely will be in the National League permanently. So um, do you – Try to make it work this year and shoehorn things around. and I use a term that's going around in this conversation and, and make it just, just, you know, kind of deal with it, so to speak. Um, you know, maybe if you have Dom in left field and it's the seventh inning and you're ahead, you put Nimmo in left and throw your center fielder in center and just kind of do that merry-go-round, you know, maybe put Dom at first base in the eighth inning. If it was a game that Pete started, you need defense, you know, maybe use interchangeable parts until such time as DH is there. But, but I agree with you guys. If somebody blew me away for a young, controllable center controllable center fielder, I'd, I'd move Pete. I love Pete. I love his, his, his enthusiasm, LFGM, all that stuff. But in the right deal for a position that's been a black hole for the Mets for a while, comparable quality, controllable player, I might do it. Even with the DH coming. Because you could always get a DH. J.D. Davis is a D.H. The Mets have too many D.H.'s where a doesn't even have a D.H. Um, you know, uh, that's my thought. And I'm not suggesting I want to get rid of Pete Alonso. What I'm saying is you have a log jam, you have needs. If he's a valuable commodity to a, left, to a American League team and they have something that the Mets need, I, I would consider it. So anything
3: else on that before I move to the next point? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in on that. You know, the other thing that which works against Pete is I think it'll be 25 this year or close to 26. So, you know, you're not going to get anybody that's younger than him in a trade. I mean, Pete is not an all-star caliber player outside of his home runs. So his trade value is not going to be, not going to bring you what you are really seeking to get from it. So I think that's why I say, let him play out the year, roll the dice on him, see if he can right his swing Get his get his act together, and then you have next year. You know what Mets fans forget is they treat this year as if it's the only year for free agency ever. So we got to spend everything now in 2021. No, you know Steve Cohen's in it for the long haul. You have 22, 23. So the team is going to be added to it and it's going to be built. It's not going to be built in a day or, or, or one season. So I say that what what this organization wants to do is get their footing get their directions, get their front office to work in, 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 uh, together and, uh, and, and build the roster in the vision. And then, you know, also the manager plays a good part. If, if, if the manager stays and they like what he does, then you're fine. But they might change the manager after this year. They're going to give him a shot because last year sucked. So I think all those things, those questions have to be answered and I don't think they'll move Alonzo this year yet because um, they want to find out. So that's what I think.
0: Fair enough. Um, all right. I don't know if Sam's back yet. Sam, you back yet? Mm. Apparently not. All right. So, guys, I am going to read you a tweet, and I'm going to ask for your reactions to it. It's a little fun. Uh, Steve Cohen, you're probably aware, tweeted yesterday, what kind of changes to the stadium would you like to see? I am looking for creative ideas. So Phil, we'll start with you. If um, you were responding to this tweet, or if you were talking to Steve Cohen, how might you answer the question of what kind of changes to the stadium? Would you like to see? He's looking for creative ideas.
3: Um, mine is a little bit controversial. Um, listen, uh in my household growing up, my grandmother's favorite player of all time is Jackie Robinson. What Jackie Robinson meant to the sport uh, is just, just you know, you, you can't deny it uh, and his impact on society in general. So honoring him with the 42 is understandable. But being a selfless Met fan, that should be 41, not 42. So I think there's a sense of pride that needs to happen in the stadium, not once you get in it, but as you walk toward it. And I think they need to make some physical changes to the stadium so that as you go toward it, it's your cathedral, it's your home, it's your place. And so I think they need to do a little bit more of that on the exterior and the interior of the stadium.
2: All right, Mike, please answer.
3: Such a difficult
2: question, Rich. Um, To what extent they can all, you know, uh, reconfigure the exterior of the place? I, I'm not really sure. It, it is what it is. But uh, Rich, I'd like to see them redo the Mets Hall of Fame and expand it. Uh, now, I'm not necessarily looking to. I, I want the rotunda redesigned. Jackie Robinson should stay. But we should also incorporate more. Now, as you're walking in, as Phil says, the place should be a shrine to the Mets, and we should feel that as we approach and enter and walk in and about. And you can do that. Hey,
1: guys, um, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt here. Uh, we, uh, I'm, I'm back. Thank you guys for handling it uh, for this time. I, I just wanted to say that we do have a caller on the line right now. And I wanted to, to I, go yeah. to them real quick to see if they have anything about this. Well, let's let Mike finish. Then we'll go to the caller. How about that? Uh, I'm sorry. I, well, I heard a break and I thought, uh, I, I thought he was over. I apologize, Mike.
2: No problem. No, that's ahead, okay. Uh, I, you know, again, I don't want to see Jackie Robinson canc- canceled out in the rotunda. I would like to see more of, New York's National League Heritage incorporated into it A little celebration if you will Uh, For the uh, For the casual observer I I want them to be able to see Glimpses of New York City's past But Mets history should Be first and foremost So I want to see the Rotunda reconfigured Keep Jackie Robinson But bring in some of the New York Giants heritage and, 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 And share The Rotunda and make it about National League, New York City National League history, if you will. Uh, I, I don't want to see Jackie the returner. I really don't. Uh, even though uh, I'm I'm terribly perturbed about what the Wilpons built and intended, because it wasn't centered around the Mets. You know. So those are the corrections I would make as far as the exterior of Citi Field. Man, that's hard. I mean, when you build stuff in stone, that's why they last forever. Uh, You know, so I, I I've seen good ideas on Twitter. One of them was recoloring the seating to mimic Shea Stadium with the orange and the blue and the green and the red, and and they put a graphic up on Twitter and actually looked pretty cool. You know, so that would be cool. And I'll limit I'll limit it to that. Rich, love it. I love all those
0: ideas. Um, you know, when you say the stadium, I. I took it a bit broader than that to mean the stadium experience. Uh right. Right. And I was thinking Dunkin' Donuts, but no, you guys you guys are going with these great things. (laughs) You guys are much deeper thinkers than I am. Um no but I if I had to come up with one thing, you have to do more with Seaver. Um he is your iconic franchise player. Uh whether you know you do something I'm not saying take away Jackie Robinson just like you're not do something, put it in a different area, but make it bigger than what it is now. Have a bigger Siever presence. Maybe do something for piazza because let's face it. those are the two guys in the Hall of Fame with Mets hats. No one else has, is that or has that so let's honor Met's history a little more agreed let's focus on the iconic players. you know if you guys have been to San Francisco, when you go out there, you see you know uh, Willie McCovey McCovey Cole, you see statues of of, of course, Willie Mays and all that kind of thing, and other ballparks as well. They acknowledge their team history, and they focus on the iconic players. I'd like to see some of that. So with that said, uh, we do have a caller from a 914 area code. I'm going to bring that caller on. Don't know who it is. So caller, if you could tell us who you are and, and what, what's uh, bringing you to Metsy and podcast tonight.
4: Um, it's Max calling back hey. again. Uh, Max, do you have the floor uh, sorry um uh hi so um i as soon as i saw the lindor train um first of all you, you if you if you saw my tweets right after the lindor tweet train you you sort of know where i'm going with this but if you haven't then you're about to find out the first thing i saw when i saw that we were getting lindor um was Oh my God, you, you got to be kidding me! And I'll tell you why. Andres Jimenez has been in the Mets system for so long, and he was coming up, and he is—he hit—he was hit for the batting title in the Arizona Fall League, and then he finally came up and did well. He did well in the major leagues, and so you know when, when you look at the team, and you say, oh, we have a need here and a need there, we have a need, and you know, like, I, I don't agree, I believe in Steven Match, but, you know, he did badly, poorly, so, you know, you can say, oh, we need another starting pitcher, fine, you know, like, I, I understand that, Steven Match did, oh, you know, he's done okay, he's been shaky, you know, replacing him in the, in the rotation wouldn't be the most horrible thing, right, because he's not that good, but when you... When you bring in a guy like Andres Jimenez, the guy who's coming up, who's been in the system, and especially with another shortstop, uh, you know, coming up, uh, Ronnie Mauricio is does not make sense to bring in a star, star, and I put that in quotations, shortstop, because you know he, the truth is he hit two fifty, Lindor hit two fifty eight in in twenty twenty. He didn't have the best numbers. Look, he could be a crowd thing just with Pete Alonso. I have no idea, but to me, it doesn't seem like you know. I, to me, this is like what I was, you know, worried about when we got when Steve Cohen signed, you know was was, um so. Bought the team. I was like, oh, he's just gonna get the best players, and then everyone's gonna freak out, and the players are gonna get worse, and then everyone, and then and then we're not gonna be good, and everyone blame the owner. And then the you know, he's going to hate the owner, and then you know the new cycle will the cycle will happen again um, because everyone has all this hope with, with with Steve Cohen, but it's not smart to get a guy who who we have you know a bunch of people in the organization who we have positions with. I really think Audresse Jimenez is going to have a, a fantastic year um with the Indians, and I think he's going to win some kind of award i, I either either a, a gold glove a silver. Or, or if not in 2021, then definitely in 2022. He is a, he's a really good player. I don't think um, I don't think uh, you know it was worth it to trade for him. Mets fans went crazy, and you know we got Carlos Carrasco. Fine, I don't care. It's just it didn't it was not needed, and it's not smart. Whether it was Jared Porter who did it or Steve Cohen, it was not smart to do this. You just want to look flashy, New York, la la la. Doesn't matter. This is going to be a mistake, and I'm calling it. Look, if Lindor just fine, then great. Fine, cool. But if he doesn't, I'm going to be here saying I told you so.
0: Well, Max, uh, we kind of touched on that. Um, that this deal looks good now, but if the Mets don't retain Lindor, or I suppose there's a chance he could own the tank, although unlikely at his age. Jimenez, you know, you gave up quality, and, and Sandy called it a fair return that the Indians got, and I think they did. I mean, I really do. Uh, Rosario is a young man. I mean, this guy could turn into a star. Lindor, I'm sorry, Jimenez, I I wouldn't be at all surprised he turns into a star. Now, if the Mets have their superstar and Cleveland has their couple guys who are doing well, it's a good trade for both teams. And that's what a trade should be, especially when you're trading in the other league. Um, And this may not be some heist, you know, the Mets did. It may be a good trade. So your concerns, I think, aren't out of (laughs) balance. I think they they certainly are reasonable, and I think a lot of people have thought it. Uh, but we'll just have to see how it plays out. So, guys, um, you're listening to a messy podcast, by the way, with Sam, Rich and Mike, and, and we're uh, we're thrilled to have on Phil Mallard, um, and, and also uh, we have Max from from Westchester who joined us just now. And so, guys, um, we we answered the question about what to do in the ballpark. You know, to make the ballpark uh, whether from a a fan experience perspective, you know, what would make it better. And I love what I heard. So let's go to something else here. And Phil, I'll start with you. Um, you and I have a mutual interest in a, in a recent information that came out on Cleon Jones. Now I remember Cleon as a player. You know, I became, I started getting into the Mets in the early seventies. So he was a little bit on the downside at that point, you know, the 1969 when he had three um, don't remember that at all. Actually. Um, but Cleon is one of those guys. He was meteoric, you know, he, he did very well for the Mets in late sixties, early seventies. And he fell off the table after that. Um, like after about 74, I think he, his last year in baseball was 75. Still young. He was like 35 or so, or in his early thirties, I think. Um, but what came out is that Cleon is very civic minded. And in his hometown of Axtrotown, Alabama, He's doing a lot of work. You know, if you follow the weather, that area has been devastated by hurricanes over the last couple of years. And Cleon himself at his age of late 70s, um, he and people, other people are helping rebuild that area, actually getting on rooftops and building roofs and all that, helping build up the city. Who's seen its population really shrink. So, Phil, I'm going to ask you to go with it. Um, what what do you you know What's your connection to Cleon Jones? Uh, is he one of your guys? And what did you think when you heard about this?
3: Well, for me, it's it's, it's um, Cleon Jones is, is the name brings back a lot of emotions because I was seven years old in '69 when the Mets won, so I was just beginning to understand what I was watching on TV and watching it with my father. Um, and I gravitated toward Cleon. Well, obviously, he is African American. So, you know, just seeing somebody that looked like me, my attention was focused on him and AG and Clan Denon. <clears throat> but Cleon was just smooth, man. He, he was silk. He was just smooth. And, and that was my first sports hero. So, Cleon, uh, in my lifetime, is important. And I think. Even at my age now, if I met him, I'd probably be all, you know, giddy and stupid and, you know, like, oh, my God, it's Cleon Jones type of thing. So for me, and and I think Steve Cohen feels the same. He calls Cleon catching the last Out in the World Series his first real memory. And so uh, I think Cleon holds a special place for people. Um, And not only that, but that 69 season you know, there were a couple incidents. It was the shoe polish and, and then, you know, and then allegedly Gil Hodges pulling him out of left field, which people thought because he was lazy and it wasn't that. He had the flu. I mean, there were a lot of different things around Cleon at that time. <clears throat> but fast forward to what he's doing now, and Sam and I had this conversation, the back of Cleon Jones' baseball card always said Mobile, Alabama. And it is true Africatown is part of Mobile, Alabama, but they would have never put Africatown on the back of his baseball card because that needed some explanation, which is something that people didn't want to even know. It's better left unsaid, sight unseen, to say that the last slave ship docked in 1860 in Africatown. And when you think about that, Cleon Jones's debut... For the Mets was eight was 1963, only 103 years after the last slave ship. So there were still some people that were could have been alive at that time from that slave ship. So it was it's interesting that now at in his 70s and he's been on a journey for a little while with this um, that he's trying to revitalize Africatown, who not only has had trouble from the hurricanes but economic strife. The, The population has dwindled down to a few 1,900 people. Um, There are air quality issues. And what's happening there is is really a microcosm of what's happening in rural areas across the country um, where there's no economic input. Nobody cares. The population doesn't matter to anybody. And I think Cleon is trying to uh, bring some light to that. So I think it'll be interesting to see if Steve Cohen jumps on that bandwagon and, and decides to bring some exposure to that via the Mets uh, for Cleon. But I think what he's doing is admirable. And if anybody is listening and you get it, and you don't have to be black to have affinity for the story, but if you just go to Wikipedia and look up Africa town, it's just a fascinating, fascinating story about the people. And it is the American history. It is our history. We don't have to like it, but we can embrace it and don't run away from it. And I think that you would have a higher sense of what Cleon Jones did because him and his wife chose to move back to Mobile when his playing days were over. They could have stayed in New York. They could have moved to California. They moved back there. So that tells you what's in this man's heart. And Met fans should be blessed to have such a guy as an iconic player in our franchise history.
0: Well said. Mike, uh, you and I are basically the same age, so you, know, you probably have similar memories of Cleon you know, as a player, but unfortunately not in the 69 season, which was his best season. Um, but, Mike, before asking you to comment on, on what Cleon is doing at Africatown, which everything you said, Phil, it would be easy to stay in New York, it would be easy to live in California as a celebrity. Not only did he move back there to his roots, but he also, and not only did he say, hey, we need to rebuild here and all that and get other people to do it. This guy, in the article I read, is on the ladder himself. He is doing what yeah. everyone else is doing. He
4: is pounding yeah.
0: nails into the boards, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And his wife doesn't want him doing it. It was kind of funny, actually, in the article. He was talking about how his wife doesn't want him on the ladder, but you know he makes jokes about it. Um, so, Mike, I'm going to ask you to comment on this, but I'm also going to throw something else in that I think has to be said. I put this in the article I did about, about this, too. One of the things about Cleon that we have to keep in mind is that in spring training of 1975, there was, a, there was an issue. Cleon Jones was found, he was seen in Florida uh, with a woman who wasn't his wife, and also you know potentially some marijuana. Uh, now, here's what happened. He was cleared of everything by law enforcement. Clean as a whistle, right? He was, and I'm saying this not as a negative on Cleon, whom I love, I'm saying it as a negative on M. Donald Grant. M. Donald Grant made this poor man apologize to the press when he was clear of any mal, of any bad activity. Lo and behold, later that season, he was released. So, Mike, if you want to comment on Cleon in general, the after-the-town thing, or even this horrible thing that M. Donald Grant made him do, what are your thoughts on, on Cleon Jones?
2: Well, I'll take it in reverse order, and I'll start with M. Donald Grant and the incident. We're talking 1975. Rich, you were alive then. I was alive then. Phil, I'm assuming you were alive then as well. Uh, 1975, excuse me, but white America was still seeking compliance, and they wanted things done their way. Okay? When things, uh, when matters seemed to go awry or they didn't uh, appreciate the aesthetics of something, you know, they handled it their way. And in the 70s, there wasn't much that was going to stop them or the establishment from handling it in their own fashion to their own liking. And as you say, what they did to Cleon Jones was embarrassing. It really was and disgraceful. But again, we're talking about 1975, where the outcry wasn't as uh, immense and intense as it's grown since then. 1975 we're only seven years away from the civil rights legislations so you know things in this in, in this country just creep at a snail's pace and in 75 you know a guy like M. Donald Grant who by this time he's in his late 60s perhaps approaching 70s and he has those old school sensibilities and and the more we understand and go back and research that and start getting delving into these people's minds. And the more we embrace, as Phil says, and the more we learn and the more we want to educate ourselves, the smoother the path to reconciliation and, and, and just general camaraderie amongst everyone, the better that will be facilitated. It's horrible what they did to Cleon Jones. Uh, and so many things I want to say that I I refuse to, but uh, I'll I'll leave it at that. We're talking about 1975 sensibilities. If you weren't alive and around in those times, it's hard to really grasp what was going on and what was going through people's minds and the way they were raised and their sensibilities. And sometimes it took. Uh, a common life occurrence to really make people have a change of perception. I caught up on an article written about Leon Jones and 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 Mobile, Alabama, and his efforts and his and his endeavors. And in this article, they went to a a cafe or a restaurant, a diner, what have you, to have lunch or breakfast, a couple of gentlemen. And they sat down, and it took an awful long time for them to receive uh, a a waitress's attention. And when the establishment owner came over and said, excuse me, I apologize uh, for making you guys wait, and he called the waitress over. And she says, no, I'm not serving them, et cetera, et cetera. And he says, oh, really? Okay. So he called another waitress over, and she took their order and served them. And the establishment owner fired that waitress on the spot. And the next day, apparently, that same waitress came back begging for her job back, remorseful, received her job back, and... Uh, approached these gentlemen, Cleon Jones and other ball players that were with him at the time, and apologized to them. And to paraphrase the article, she says, well, I was raised a certain way, but as an adult, we all get to make decisions and choose our paths. And since then, Cleon Jones says that moving forward, they struck up a very good friendship with her and that they would always catch her at the ballpark and they would wave to each other And uh, again They established the friendship So it's, it's Unfortunately how, It's unfortunate how sometimes things start Sometimes it's a It's a blessing how things wind up uh, and, and that's one Anecdote that was uh, You know I, re- I I looked it up and read a couple of articles Before we came on tonight And that was one of them that you know, very enlightening. Uh, Cleon Jones, what he's doing in, in Mobile is just outstanding. Uh, and I wish him, I, I hope he gets more support. Uh, he is somewhat dependent on federal dollars and they're drying up. Uh, but for the efforts he's doing, he, he's effectively the mayor over there. He does more for the local citizenry there than the muni- the municipality does. Uh, and you mentioned it all—you know, uh, fixing roofs and improving improving homes, uh, especially after the hurricane, and, and and more and much more endeavors than just that. And of course, he's trying to establish uh, a history center as well. So uh, I, I do hope that Cohen helps him in these endeavors and, and brings more attention to this through the Mets. Uh, because I'm sure my fans would be interested uh, and would be inclined to help out. You know, uh, America is a is a donating, charitable society. It's one of the checks and mechanisms versus capitalism, because ha- capitalism is inherently unequal. It doesn't account for the poor. Uh, so you need volunteerism and you need charity and things of that nature to kind of, balance the playing field sometimes. Uh, So, you know, time is not on Cleon Jones' side, getting up there in age, uh, but, you know, his efforts and his energy are off the charts, and I've only known Jones to be one of the most affable Mets players in their history, just in watching interviews with him and reading about him and things of that. So, Uh, I hope through Phil's efforts, if you're researching this and plan to produce something soon, uh, I understand. Uh, I hope that uh, more people learn about this and and that uh, clotilda becomes a more common word and and historical fact in people's minds. Uh, There's so much to learn, and the more you embrace, the better we'll be.
3: Yeah, I'd like to just add something to what you're just saying. Just to show you the, um, the dichotomy where we're living in, Steve Cohen boasted how he spent at an auction, I think $140,000 on the last ball Cleon caught and how that was a bargain. But if that $140,000 were donated to Cleon's efforts in Africatown, that would be a better bargain. And so what we're hoping is through the efforts of what we're trying to do, we can make that connection, uh, bring that light to the prism that we can, it's not going to take a ton of money, but just to get the ball moving, no pun intended, and, and Mr. Cohen should step up because if you can buy a baseball, you can help the guy that caught it.
0: I
1: like that. I like that a lot.
3: Very
0: good. Thank you. Mike, any other thoughts on Cleon in terms of um, any other stuff we talked about with him?
2: I don't know. He was the world champion in
0: 1969. <laughs> that he was.
2: That
0: he was. Um, so, um, Max, I think you're still with us. And I, I, I think Cleon yeah. Jones is the name you've heard your parents talk about, right?
4: yeah i i i i think he, he i i i'm hearing just by i'm learning about him by this conversation you know i i've seen the video of the nineteen sixty nine um final game so i i i guess i can identify this person now but he i mean technically um i i mean you know he was he is friends with someone um i met uh, at an airport um, when I was leaving, um, when I was leaving um, Port St. Lucie, uh, I went down to spring training. I met um, uh, Ed Cranepool at the airport. He was there uh, on our flight, and it was like I got to pick him and I got his autograph on a baseball. I think I have it right over here. And, um, so I don't really, I, I sort of don't know what you're talking about, but I have great reverence for the 69 Mets. And I, I guess this is now it's a good thing what he's doing.
1: It really
0: is. And when you read the article, uh, the post did it. Um, you can find it there. If you want to look at archivers of the post, but very short read, but it'll tell you a lot about the man, the character of the man.
1: Um, Okay guys, hey, so, can I uh everybody... mind if I jump in real quick? Uh one of the things that just always <laughs> stuck with me about Cleon Jones, um you know, and one of you might have mentioned this at some point uh just now. I apologize for being a little distracted, but uh what, what one of the things that I find remarkable is that the the um it was so, such chaos in in the best way possible after the Mets won the World Series that he had to go out the uh center field gate basically um you know and, and i always that always stuck with me because that's the last image that we see in these highlights you know that max was talking about was him running off the field uh, before the camera zooms in on on uh, uh, I, uh how did i just uh, jerry kuzman excuse me jerry kuzman jerry grody and and the rest of everybody in the center of the uh, the field um and it is like you said, Mike, uh, and like everybody's saying tonight, it is uh, amazing what he's doing to to keep that memory alive down there in Africa Town. Uh, and, and you know, Phil, I, I hope that we can uh, you know get this uh, all the way up uh, the ladder to Steve Cohen to uh, to also do more since the uh, the Wilpons couldn't be there as much for some of his alumni.
3: Agreed, and uh, and you know. <clears throat> The unfortunate thing is we are fighting the sands of time, not only with the age of people, but COVID and the risks that bring to people of that age. So it's a little frustrating that these stories can be told and um, we're kind of blocked by this virus. Um, So let's just hope and pray that there's a little, little break in the clouds and some sunshine through and allows us to move forward to tell these stories.
0: Amen to that. Um, you know, And just bringing it back to Steve Cohen in the previous conversation and changes at the ballpark, you know, one of the things that has been, whenever he's reached out to the fans, what comes back uh, in abundance is have an old-timers day. Um, you know, Have it every year like the old days when, when Phil, Mike, and I were kids. And, you know, you'd have um, Old Timers Day every year. It used to be, you know, oftentimes it would be a doubleheader Sunday, but that doesn't exist. So, uh, but have it, you know, and, and because you're right, um, you know, the sands of time are, are dripping through the hourglass. And, you know, we have to acknowledge these guys and enjoy them. And um, and maybe this whole, this whole pandemic has shown us that, you know, that – we can't just take these guys for granted. You know, let's embrace them, you know, when we can finally go back to the ballpark, hopefully this summer, bring them back and do it every year. And let's, let's make the most of the time we have. I agree. Um, so on the Metsian podcast, I think we've covered our, our topics for tonight. We have to do a couple other things. Number 70 and then a last word. But um, um, before I do that, anybody have anything else about the Mets you wanted to bring up before, before we segue over to our last couple things?
3: Not that I can um, think of.
4: Oh. I just want to say that I'm happy yeah. that they're um, they're going forward with um, letting fans in for the for the for the games. I I I don't think I've gone to spring training the past two years, so I don't. I, but I don't think I'll be able to go this year. But it'll it'll still be fun, you know, to to see the team and um, but you know whether um, Lindor will or not, he's still, like, you know, a flashy player, you know, like the, like the marketing. And I hope there's a good clubhouse feeling, and I feel like um, in the past few years, there's always been, like, one problem that I've felt that doomed the Mets. Um, I feel like, you know, in 2018, it was Mickey Calloway. Um In 2019, I feel like it was uh, Brody. I, and then twenty twenty I think it was just the fans and the stands and the will ponds and now all of those features are gone um and you know we have we have each each uh each um each element has been replaced and 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 now we have a new um a, a new light a new dawn new day um for the Mets and i think that this is i i i mean i can officially call it. I've called it for a while now. I, I've called it since, I think, at least 2019 or 2020. I, I'll have to find the tweet. But um, I'm I'm announcing it right now. The New York Mets are going to win the 2021 World Series. I'm calling it right now, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. This team is so here, here, bad. Here, here. I can't. It's impossible it's impossible i didn't call i didn't say we would win two thousand eighteen I didn't say we would win two thousand nineteen definitely did not say we would win twenty twenty I didn't call it for sure but i i'm one hundred percent i'm almost one hundred percent sure I'll be you know they, there's no way they can't win this year there's no way
0: <laughs> there are plenty of ways Let's hope they don't happen <laughs> whoa, 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 yeah. whoa whoa
4: whoa whoa yeah
3: yeah yeah, um, yeah. So just, Max, I
4: just wanted to put it out there, uh, you know, in case it happens. So if if it you know if it happens, we're going to come back and we're going to post it, and we're going to and and I'll say I told you so.
0: Max, I love your youthful uh, exuberance and optimism, and from your <laughs> lips, the God cares, as they say.
2: Um, <laughs> well, I I have, I have a question for the room. Sure. And I'll paint it this way: insofar as extending Lindor money, spending like drunken sailors. Let me paint this scenario. Jacob DeGrom's salary is going to spike to $35 million a season mm-hmm. starting this year and next. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Conforto still has an extension mm-hmm. that needs to be negotiated, if that's mm-hmm. their intent. And, of course, Robbie Cano comes back next year, and that money will be back on the books. Now, Lindor is going to make Cano's money this year. But, again, when Cano returns that money returns now just in those four people alone we're talking about a a major expenditure do you think this is factoring into their decisions in their pursuit of perhaps bauer or springer do you think they're going to lay low because of this particular reason or do you think that this front office isn't necessarily concerned with that and that they'll proceed forward
0: I'll, I'll go first um i don't see how they can't be concerned with it i mean it's a real thing you know w- when you go over the the, the, the luxury tax you're paying 35 percent, i believe in a luxury tax i mean it's a real thing and so i i think they do have to factor all these things in such as a ballooning of the Gram salary and conforto you know we haven't even talked about that in this entire podcast that You know, we're talking about Springer and JBJ and Trevor Bauer, but, you know, you want to lock up Conforto too. These things cost money, and there is a luxury tax. We don't know if it'll be there after the next CBA. Who the heck knows? But at this point,
3: I think they are real things. Mike, absolutely. I'll I'll jump, I'll add to that. I think um, you're right. I think DeGrom's 30, whatever DeGrom is getting paid, I I don't even think they're factoring that, that in because that's, He's absolutely worth that and more. So that's money well spent. So let's just shift that to the side. I think what they're being smart about, again, is this is not a one-year process. This is a two- or three-year process. We're going to go through free agencies again uh, next year and the year after. So why shoot the load this year? I think they'll go after Springer. I don't think they'll sound Bauer. They'll go after Springer. They'll make their pitching staff better. Um, They'll sign. They need some still help and relief uh, relief relievers. And um, but I think they'll be fine. And I don't think Cohen's afraid of going over the luxury tax, but I don't think he'll do it this year. I think if next year, the Mets are close, he'll say, let it roll. I'll I'll go over the luxury tax. If that's going to bring to the Met fans, what he promised. I don't think that's, uh, that'll prevent him from spending that money. That's what he said.
0: I agree with that. So, um, Mike, what's your thought? on?
3: No,
2: I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm, a, I'm in agreement with you guys.
1: Max, Sam,
2: jump in on that one.
0: No, no. Um, all right, guys. So this is the 70th edition, and as you know, we typically do where we tie the number 70, the number corresponding to the edition of the team podcast, uh, to number 70 in team history. We use uniform numbers, and, and obviously, number 70 is the number usually reserved for the pulling guard on a football team. So there's not a whole lot of Mets who have worn number 70. We can get into that in a minute, but before doing that, we thought we'd also, since the list is so scant, we would talk a bit about. Uh, the 1970 season. So the 1970 season was an interesting one in Mets history. They were coming off hundred wins and a world series win in 1969. Um, you know, their record of 83 and 79 probably was a bit underwhelming um, given that they were coming off a world, Ser- a world series win, uh, but still above 500, you know, still a, a decent year, but, but I'm sure it was disappointing for a lot of Mets fans who uh, were around and, and, and in perfectly into the team at that point. So when I look at the statistics on the 1970 team, I see Don Clendenin had a very good year with 22 home runs, uh, 288 batting average. I look down, I see Tommy Agee. Uh, that was the year Tommy Agee was, became the only player to ever hit a ball in the upper deck in fair territory at Chase Stadium. So Tommy Agee had a very good year. Uh, he hit 286 with 24 of his own home runs. Uh, and in that year, Tommy also stole 31 bases. So that is a hell of a season, Tommy Agee had. Um, you know, when you look down at pitching, obviously number 41 pops to mind. Uh, Tom had a, uh, Tom Stever had a, another solid year at 18 and 12, not as great as 69, but still 18 and 12 with a 282 ERA. Jerry Kuzman, 12 and 7. Um, so guys, you know, Tug McGraw uh, was, you know, almost into a full-time relieving role at that point. Um, so that's just a quick look at the 1970 Mets. You know, decent performance, certainly disappointing. Thoughts on the 70 team? We'll start with Phil.
3: Wow. That was a, um interesting year because it was bringing in some younger players um, from 69. Remember Tim Foley came up that year. Um you had a, a couple other. I, my mind is, is 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 fading on me. Um, but you you had a little more youthful in uh, people that came in that year. Uh, Tug McGraw, I think, uh, you know, took a a, a large role. Um, so it, it was a little bit of a transition, and I thought that it was, you know it's very hard to repeat. So I think it was a little bit of a disappointing year for them, but. Um, Nonetheless, the euphoria of 69 lasted all the way until 73. So I think they get a pass.
0: I agree. When when you shock the world in 69 and you were above 570, you get a pass. Mike, your thoughts?
2: Season record may have struck some as a disappointment considering, again, as you say, 100 wins in 1969. Uh but it's still their second-highest win total in their history, playing under Gil Hodges, that is. And, you know, I would have loved to have been there on opening day when they raised the flag, the championship flag. But I was still mentioning, you know, a couple of other young players coming up were Ken Singleton and Mike Jorgensen, who we'd become familiar with in the late 70s. All right. uh, so he's right. Uh, there were... Uh, an influx of younger players coming through that would, you know, we'd become familiar with in in later years. Uh, but the one thing that really sticks out to me about 1970 is Nolan Ryan. You know, we always yeah. say, oh, how could they trade him this, that, you know, but I could see where 1970 might've, you know, dissuaded people from, you know, uh, different opinions. He pitched 131 innings that season, but he walked uh, 97 batters. I mean, that's terrible. And he struck out 125, 125 strikeouts in 131 innings, 97 walks. You know, you're asking yourself, well, what exactly is this guy? And I think this is where their opinion may have started to sour on Nolan Ryan, unfortunately uh nobody knew what he would become once he reached the angels and beyond but that's one thing that sticks out to me about 1970 because in 69 uh he was very effective spot starter especially coming out of the uh out of the bullpen factored in the playoffs you know and and you thought after 69 that this guy's trajectory was going to take off but then 70 comes along and you know it makes you question what exactly they have here uh, and you know, I guess the decision to trade him away, as a as a result, became much easier for them to follow through on. Uh, that's my biggest takeaway from that, and and Phil's right. I mean, uh, about Tug Tug McGraw, he pitched in fifty seven innings that year. Uh, excuse me, fifty seven games that year, tied for the highest with uh, Ron Taylor. Uh, and the year before, they were a great back to back duo. And they just continued that again in 1970. McGraw pitched 90 innings. uh, 90 innings from a reliever, you know, that's astronomical in in modern day terms. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah, the workload was definitely increased. And if I may, Tug McGraw is one of my candidates to have his number retired. The man factored in two National League championships and one World Series title, and uh, was such an integral part of those teams of '69 and '73. Such a beloved player, uh, and just a very affable and lovable, and you know, uh, happy-go-lucky gentleman. And then his unfortunate passing away. Uh, I think he's well deserving of having this number retired. I think that's something I and I hope that uh, the new regime might consider.
0: I. I think that's right, Mike. And you know, yeah. and, and we no, know.
1: I, the 70s, you think of you got to believe, and we don't know where that came from. Came from talk, but go ahead, Tim. I was just going to say the same thing. You know, I mean, he he basically invented the tagline of the the franchise. Um, and one of the things that really jumps out to me when looking at this team, and and I'm so happy that baseball reference has the uh, mean age. Uh, and the average age here was twenty five point nine This was a young team, and Nolan ryan was twenty three and Like Mike said, you can kind of see where they're they're going here uh with you know what do we have in this guy and they were they they were you know they still struggled with offense, even though you had some some pretty solid numbers here and there, but like you know adding somebody at the time like Jim frigosi uh theoretically could increase. Uh, the win total, especially when you're getting so many walks out of Nolan Ryan. Um, But unfortunately this became one of those, this became literally the first infamous trade that, that kind of blew up in the Mets faces. And hopefully the trade that we just make is not one of them. Knock on wood. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Max, I think 1970
0: might be a bit before your time. So any, any comment on 1970?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, uh, I, I, um, I don't know. It was, you know, it sounds, I mean, I don't know. I don't don't think we can be hard on a team for not repeating or doing well after a World Series. You know, they were, they were the miracle Mets and it's not, um, how do you, you know, how do you expect, um, you know everyone has a hangover it's not um it's not unusual so i um i guess you know um i i i, I you know hopefully they um they did uh who was the manager in in nineteen seven was that the same manager as the nineteen sixty nine yeah Gil yeah, yeah. Oh, Gil Jill Hodges yeah Hod- Gil Hodges yeah so um yeah so i guess they were um I guess you know you can't you can't blame them. It's it's hard to repeat and it's hard to you know stay um, stay consistent and do well. I um, I guess that you know hopefully uh, it will be good. I just wanted to say I I know um, I forgot to say this about the 2021 season. I don't know if we ever talked about it, but they announced. I remember uh, that in September that. Um, that in 2021 they were in September of 2021 during the baseball season the Mets and the Yankees were going to play each other for the 20th anniversary of 911 and I just like I'm I'm so I'm, I'm I don't I'm, I don't know to say happy I'm happy that they did it but I I think it's so bold to make that decision and to um I think it's I think it's important that they the Mets and the Yankees Played that game on the tenth anniversary of nine eleven. I think it's so. I think it's going to be really emotional to play. I I don't really care which team wins. You know, I hope it's the Mets, obviously. But it's you know, if it's not the Mets, I it doesn't it doesn't matter to me because it's just it was so important because um I I I it I I was recently watching one of the clips from nine eleven, just um thinking, and I hope hopefully, hopefully they do like a you know. Um I, I heard that the Bill de Blasio is instituting a, a COVID Memorial Day for the New Yorkers lost during COVID. So hopefully baseball honors those who were lost during COVID. Um and I know they will do a ceremony for um the nine eleven victims.
0: That's a good good catch on that. And when I first saw the schedule I was like, Wow, that's weird they're playing so late year, but it and it is because of nine eleven. I think that's a good take by M L B which has generally horrible takes. Um I don't know if you saw what the NFL did <laughs> this weekend. They broadcast the games on Nickelodeon with kids' announcers to bring kids in. I mean, that's why the NFL is what it is. And baseball blacks you out from watching it on the app. I mean, and but at least yeah. baseball got yeah. right, you know. Um, so, uh, all right, gentlemen, we're going to move to number 70. And I'm going to throw it out. Typically, we go around the horn. There's no point in doing that because – the, the, this is a very, um, for lack of a better term, nondescript list of players. So Eric Hanhold, who I believe they got—correct me if I'm wrong—for Jay Bruce, when they were selling the farm off uh, (pun intended) there um, in 2017, I believe they got Eric Hanhold for Jay Bruce. Uh, pitcher pitched 2.1 innings in 2018, so you know not much of an impact. Mulfredo Tovar in twenty thirteen and twenty fourteen. And then Ali Sanchez, who came up as a backup catcher, looked incredibly overmatched. Certainly very young guy. I think he's twenty years old. Uh very young. Obviously they like him uh and he has a future, but he came up in twenty twenty and had a few of bats here and there, you know, spelling um Wilson Ramos. So uh when Nito went down with COVID. So I'm gonna throw it out there. Those are the three guys who born number seventy in Mets history. Any thoughts on any of them? Free for all.
4: Wait, what'd you, what was the last one again? Uh,
0: Sorry, can. You... Ali Sanchez was the last one. He played for the Mets in 2020 as a catcher.
1: And when Nito got COVID, he oh. came up and picked up Ramos.
4: Yes, I, I remember him. Yeah.
1: I was just going to throw out there about Wilfredo Tovar that uh, I remember a lot of people talking about his defense, his defense, his defense. And, and we all kind of knew that his offense wasn't going to come around. Um, but, you know, before Jimenez came up, uh, and, 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 you know, with Jimenez, obviously the bat was there, uh, but Wilfredo Tobar was the last one that I can remember in the infield of everybody just talking about plus defense at the major league level. Very good.
0: Anyone else on any of those three players? It's not the deepest I, list we've ever I'm
4: happy, I'm happy that they got a new catcher. I love James McCann. I was very, I was always against, um j t real muto I think he's overrated he's always hitting two seventy seven which is okay, which is good, but james McCann obviously has um better uh um, like offense potential offensive potential his numbers have just been going up, and i'm like I'm, I'm i'm i think it was the good decision the smart decision to sign james McCann instead of j t Real muto
0: okay. i actually um, I completely agree uh any other comments on any of the uh the three whole players who have reported number seventy
3: um, I, I don't remember any of those guys in the regular season in spring training, you know all kind of numbers, but those guys are nondescript to me, so i couldn't couldn't make much of a comment
0: same. I just remember Ali Sanchez looking very overmatched as as he should you know a uh, young guy like that, you know we'll see him in a couple of years. Um, they just needed somebody when Nito got, got COVID and it's interesting how Nito got COVID in, in late August or middle of August. He never seen again on the ball field. Um, and if you saw his stuff on Instagram, he said he had a pretty nasty case of it. I, he's okay now, but he had a pretty nasty case at the time. Um, so gentlemen, before going to our um, last word, I want to throw one more thing in, just say anything you want about it. No, I'm not going to round table it. The Mets, give them some credit. Um, Speaking of COVID, this week, the Mets uh, said you can use City Field as a, um, a back mass vaccination site. Looking to do five to 7,000 vaccinations a day. Uh, there was a little humor in there that we welcome everyone, even Yankees fans. I had to admit I smiled at that. Um, but good for the Mets. you know. And it, it carries on. We talked about 9-11 for a moment, uh, a little moment ago. Um, they use Shea as a staging site at that time to help out. So, you know, the Mets, look, we have hounded the organization, yes, under previous ownership, on this podcast many times, but um, good for the mess. Any comments on that?
2: Well, sometimes facilities like this serve very special purposes that have nothing to do with their, intentional, their, their initial construction. And you mentioned 9-11 being one instance. Uh, uh, the hurricane down in New Orleans Superdome serving as shelter. You know, sometimes uh, these large facilities, they become necessary for the greater community. And and the more, you know, local ownership and baseball involves themselves, or whoever the owners of the particular parks are and leagues involved are, the more they involve themselves and offer up these facilities, you know, uh, increase capacity to get things done for the greater good, uh, I, I think those underspoke. So good job by you by bringing that up, Rich. Yeah,
3: thank you, Mike. Yeah, and I like to add they're making that twenty four seven availability, so they'll probably run out of vaccines in the place before you know they close. So, um, good job by them. That's great. Yeah,
4: I um I saw someone on Twitter, I saw multiple people on Twitter, um say that there should be a board or banner or some kind of representation of um, the following clip them at, the, at City Field when they're giving out vaccines I think they should show this or play this or something Or um, I think they should honor this moment because I think it really speaks to the vaccine um, and, and the Mets you, to me? know, um, you, you gotta give us you, know what? you gotta give uh, uh, a
0: okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> D- Disneyland <laughs> oh that was Terry Collins there you go yeah, um, that's right. you got to give us a shot.
4: Um, and I was, I was at that game. I was I was a little younger, so Me hearing too. all those curse words by the fans wasn't the most pleasant thing. <laughs> that's funny. Um,
0: so Disneyland in California is also a, a site for vaccinations, as is Dodger Stadium. So the, let's get these things in arms. The more arms that get these shots, the quicker we're all going to go to the ballpark, and I, for one, cannot wait for that day. Um, all right, so time for the last word, gentlemen. Um, so, uh, first of all, uh, Phil, before you do the last word, why don't you tell us uh, a bit more, or if you want to restate what you said earlier about where people could find you, the work you're doing, that kind of thing.
3: So you know, we're currently in, in production with a couple of documentaries and, and, uh, we hope to, um, start doing something about Cleon Jones and Town. We're, we're working on treatments for that. And I can be found at tomorrowmedia.com, which is T-U-M-A-R-O. Media.com, and uh, you'll see my company site and some of the things we've done, and let's go Mets.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Phil, and thank you for joining us tonight. Max, thank you for calling in. Uh, Sam and Mike, of course, you know, we go back. Uh, it's going to be eight years. <coughs> I can't believe that. Um, that we well, Actually, we've known each other longer than that, but podcasting for eight years. So, um, okay, guys, time for the last word. Here we are, January 14th. A lot going on in the world, uh, a lot going on in Ball a lot going on with the Mets. Do anything you want with it. Max, as our uh, as our caller, we'll let you go first. What's your last word for tonight?
4: Well, um, if I had to, I think I'm just going to give the Mets uh, a grade for their off season. If I had to give it a grade, it would be a B plus. Um, and the only reason it's not the A's is because of. Um, uh, Lindor I think the Lindor trade really you know I think it um, it's risky and it's not worth it and it's you know we gave again we can we give away two prospects it I don't know what's going to happen I think it was pretty clear what was going to happen with Jimenez Jimenez wasn't going to work out they could have got they could have waited for Mauricio so it, you know, the shortstop in, in, in the Mets organization will be a very interesting one to look at. B-plus, um, I really don't think that they should go anywhere from here. I think they have the rotation solidified. If you want to get another minor league bullpen arm, made, like you know, like a minor league signing of a bullpen arm, you can do that. Maybe we can have like some surprise... Um, uh, what was the guy, who was the starter who went to the bullpen in 2020 who did really well? Lugo.
0: Oh. Uh, no, no, oh, no, no. Matt, uh, Matt.
4: No, no, no. The starter who we signed in the off season. Walker.
2: Ramirez. No, we, they
4: no, 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 no. Not Walker. Uh, it was something Ramirez. Marcus he was a starter.
2: Well, we signed Marcus Stroman to the qualifying offer, didn't we? Is that who you're talking about?
4: No, no, no. A starter who went into the bullpen in the 2020 season. And then he did really well, surprisingly. I'm going to lose weight. Let me get this up. If you look at the bullpen, he did. And then, like, people were surprised. Like, who is this guy? Uh, Something with an N. Ramirez, I think it was.
0: Yeah. um, The guy they – oh, the guy that came up in in, uh, August there. I know who you mean. Um, I can't think of his first name, but yeah, you're right.
4: Yeah, um, I, I think those types of signings are smart. You know, they're low risk. If they don't do well, send them down to the minors. If they do well, then keep them in the open. It's, it's an awesome – it's a lovely thing uh, we have. So I think we should take advantage of that. Um, I liked the Jose Martinez signing today. I thought that was, you know, uh, helpful. Um, and – um i I guess I could just say um that I am excited i am um i'm proud to be a Mets fan i you know first time in a while what um uh where I can really say that I'm like so excited for this season um erasmo erasmo Ramirez that was the guy right. erasmo Ramirez, so if we sign another Master Ramirez or re-sign <laughs> oh, O'Rasso Ramirez you know it would be good so B-plus offseason love McCann love um, Trevor May great not signing George Springer uh, I want to see how M- Nimmo does I th- I think he can still um, turn out to be a really really good player you know uh, so I'm just optimistic and um, let's go Mets
0: alright Um All right. So we'll go from a guest to one of our co-conspirators where we go to our other guests. So Sam, what's your last word
1: tonight? I just hope, uh, you know, that this, everything that we're seeing, uh, uh, comes together in the the season. And, um, you know, for all those out there that are hurting, you know, I, I try to remind myself, uh, as, as much as there can sometimes be pain in one's heart, uh, you know there's always something worse out there going on to somebody else and and some other parts of the world, so one way or another uh with everything going on, just uh, keep the faith uh keep that smile and that optimism that um you know the youth youthful exuberance, like you said, rich with max uh and I will echo it right now as we will at the end. Let's go Mets agreed, Phil.
0: Once again, always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, thank you for joining us on the Metian Podcast for the second time. Love to have you back. And what is your last word for tonight?
2: Nope. Do we still have Phil? Do
3: we lose. I'm oh, sorry, guys. Yeah, ushering in baseball is always a sign of of a change in weather a chance for people to get outside. It's the longest of seasons. It bridges three seasons temperature wise. And uh, in this country this year, the outside temperature is actually intertwined with the temperature of the country politically and socially, economically, health wise. Let's hope that baseball can give us a respite and survive covid social issues that they'll face this year and provide provide us with a little sol- a solace a, a a warm place to look at for a couple hours a day during the rest of this year because it could the rest of the country's going to be a shit show so <laughs> let's, hope. let's hope and uh again let's go mets
0: very good mike as the other co-conspirator in the podcast, bring us home. What's your last word tonight, my friend?
2: Well, baseball is definitely one of those entities that can facilitate what it is that Bill speaks of. My final word is more of an observation. You know, we're still in the honeymoon period. We haven't played a game yet. Uh, But if you look around, aside from the Padres, uh, who's had a more more active offseason than the Mets? Uh, you know, from the front office on down to the player acquisitions. Quite a busy winter, and I'm happy about that. And what that made me start thinking was about New York City ownership and the various leagues and, and teams that we have here and the stability that we have here, unlike other places where ownership just comes to go. It's a revolving door. And I, I was just thinking, you know, the Jets, Sonny Werblin, Leon Hess, and now the Johnson brothers, uh, the Yankees. Uh, you know, I can remember back to CBS, and then there was Georgia now. How the New York Rangers, the New York uh, New York Knicks, they kind of fall in the same in the same basket under Gulf Western, Paramount, and now on the Cablevision. It seems like everything works in threes. The Mets, Joan Payson, Double Days, and Will ponds and now Mr. Cohen even throw the giants in there, even though it's one family, but we've incorporated the tissues as well, but it's one family. We went from grandfather to father to grandson with John. It's funny to me how things have been working in threes, uh, but it speaks to a remarkable uh, landscape of stability. If you, if you ask me compared to other cities and leagues and teams, Uh, I just think that, you know, uh, Mr. Cohen is going to perpetuate that. And, uh, about a hell of an itch for himself in this group of people that I just mentioned.
0: Very good. Nicely done, Mike. And so that is a wrap on the 70th edition of the Messian podcast, Sam Rich and Mike. Once again, we've been, uh, we've had two wonderful guests. We thank you both. Um, And with that said, there's only one way to close this one down and and we'll go to um as mike says our ceo of podcasting operations
1: mr sam maxwell so sam why don't you take <laughs> us out i hope everybody stays healthy and safe out there be good to your loved ones and let's go nuts take care everybody thanks max let's go go right thanks rich thank thanks you so life. much bye now bye
3: all right bye-bye